Yo, this is DJ Tyree Cooper. And you checking out a brother from another mother? My main man, my big brother like no other, Wayne Atkins. The 88 Podcast for your house music and acid house experience. Listen, learn, and live. Peace. Music and culture. The 88 Podcast with yours truly, Wayne Anthony. Welcome to the 88 Podcast with yours truly, Wayne Anthony. And on today's show, we would have had a really special guest had they not cancelled at the very last minute. And I say last minute. What I mean by that is the camera was rolling, the lights were on, the mic was live, and they didn't show up. It's the second person that's done that this week. So we would have had two really special guests, two really special podcasts, had it not been for the fact that they just didn't show, didn't, didn't reply to the email, didn't show. Really bad form, lads. We're all busy. We all have things to do. And it would be nice not to be left in this hot seat. So while I am in this hot seat, I, I should share some news. Why not? The lights are on camera's rolling and this microphone is stuck in my face so i guess before i do that please subscribe to the channel the youtube channel please comment like share all of that good stuff and you know we've got facebook groups and all the social media so anyone that likes and shares or comments on any of those platforms we are much grateful for that so good stuff um, so what am I talking about today? What am I going to speak about? So I thought I would talk a little bit about reclaiming ownership over our creative output. And it could have been now, it could have been back in the past. And what I'm really speaking about is actually archiving our heritage. And that would be the Acid House heritage and the birth of rave culture for those who don't know what Acid House is. And my personal involvement, as many people already know, was with Genesis 88. And we staged some of the biggest illegal acid house parties, warehouse parties, however you want to frame it, in the UK between 1988 and 1990. Obviously, since my story, since was made into a book, which I wrote in 1998, which was, you know, came out on Virgin and all that stuff, you know. So my story is out there. Wayne Anthony. Um, you can still get the book Class of 88 at Amazon. I also wrote a book about uh, Ibiza and my experiences staging events in Ibiza and living the party promoter life back in the 90s. But since then, I've worked in a number of different industries and I've had a number of different key roles and various different projects, which have been community building projects which ultimately have been about bringing people together um, much of the time with free tools and enabling them to share their creativity with like-minded individuals. And I've been kind of on that mission since the 90s when the internet was super, super slow in the days where we had ISDN, which, which I think was like about 128, you know which is super slow. I, I mean, on my shelf up there, I'm looking up there and I actually have my 28K modem, which if 28K modem is literally the smallest file ever. And that's what we used to connect to the internet with. But we still had aspirations about the internet. 
we back in those days we used to speak in talking like chat rooms and if i remember i think aol was the main isp the internet service provider at that point and it was a paid account you have to have you had to pay to connect to the internet and i'm talking right now about 1995 yeah so we're going back to 1995 you had to pay for the internet and really there wasn't there wasn't search engines so there was no way of searching through the internet at that time there were just chat rooms and i can't remember how we found the chat rooms but ultimately there were lots of chat rooms and well, I think they were called RC chat rooms or, or something of that nature. And so that was the first time, that was probably 1994. That was the first time that I'd actually ever spoken to somebody across the other side of the world via the internet. And there were a lot of people that were doing it at that point. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, generally speaking, a lot of my friends wasn't doing it. I only had one particular friend that was a bit of, of an IT guy like myself who had an interest in IT, not that we're IT guys, but we have a keen interest and we've worked in those fields ever since. But th at that time we still was, had great aspirations, even though we wasn't tech guys, it was more to do with the speed of the internet and what a wonderful thing that the internet was. And we even used to think about, because I, I remember the game, the video game at the time, it may have been PlayStation 1. Um, it was the, the game of the period was Tomb Raider, which was a cryptic game, a puzzle game. And that was, we, while we used to be play, playing Tomb Raider, we, we, we used to be talking about, wouldn't it be great if we could actually play this across the internet? If, if I could be at my house and we could play it and you be at yours, and, and we could play it, play it then. And we wasn't even tech-minded or anything like that. And it kind of, our interest, my interest in the internet kind of evolved from then. And I, it wasn't long after that where we had our first website up, which was in 1995. And it was for a record label. We were promoting these compilation concept albums at the time. Uh, they were called having it and it was like having it in a beefer, having it stateside, having it in the UK, having it classics. We, we released um, a series of albums. I can't remember, probably eight or ten. Uh, and so we did those albums and it was then that we had our first website. And to be fair, no one really, it didn't have any visitors. There was no easy way of actually people coming to see your website. The Windows um, 95 was kind of new. We had an internet explorer, but apart from that, it was like, how do you navigate your way around the internet? It was, it was so new. Nobody, nobody knew. And so finding websites, you know, you know, I, I think, I think I, when the website was first put up, I think for the first, you know, four or five days, we kept looking at it ourselves but that's because we had a direct address for it. And don't get me wrong, we did put that web address on all our posters. We put the web address on our magazine ads. You know, the, the web address itself went everywhere, but no one, you know, was really paying attention to stats, how many people comes to the website. No, you know, no one really cared. It was just, it was just about exploring that new tech and, 
that new tech we just knew was that was going to be the future. We didn't know that it was going to disrupt the music business in the way that it did. When MP3s came along, that completely disrupted the music industry. And at first it was on the underground. And I was one of those, you know, early pirates, if I if. I know it's maybe frowned upon, but I was one of those early pirates and, you know, with the Nabsters and we did download music and we did download, well, it was music generally, really at that time, you know, it evolved much later into films and everything, but this new technology, it was more, it wasn't about stealing other people's music for free. Although for a lot of people, it became that. It was more about, you could down, I can download this digital file from this network straight to my computer and then play it on my laptop. And I mean, that laptops were at an early stage then as well. I, I remember, I remember I was in Essex on one of these weekends when we would play Tomb Raider in the 90s, again, 95, you know, 94, 95. And I remember I went, uh, we went to this computer shop. I think it was to get the modem, actually, to get the, the 28K modem. It might have been a 56K modem at that, at that point. We went to get the modem and there was quite a lot of people in the shop. And I asked the chap behind the counter, if they had any speakers, external speakers that I could plug into the laptop. And everyone in the shop laughed. They, they just laughed at me you know, as if external laptop, external speakers, what are you talking about? And I, and I looked, turned around to everybody because there was about five or six people in the shop. I was like, what's wrong with that? You know, and, okay, I might have been typecasted there or whatever, but, you know. So the technology itself was at a very early stage during that time, but we had this website, it, it was live, that was 1995. And so if by 98, I had an ISP. And by 98, there still was a lot of people that had to pay for internet accounts at that time. Well, most people had to pay. And I can't remember, there was, there was one particular company that was doing streaming. Oh, it escapes me. It was a really early converter. And it was a hacker friend of mine that actually showed me, um, introduced me to the company. It was something streaming. And again, this was the early, it was still slow. The internet was still very, very slow. And we had to pay to get on, as I said. But then there was this free internet access from this one particular company, and you'd have to go to this particular website and download the um, the app, or you had to get it sent to you on a CD-ROM. You gave them the address, and, and they send it to you. That's how primitive it all was back then. And the other companies, but AOL was the the main company that was distributing um, internet access in the UK. They were the biggest company. And there was one other company, which I, I can't remember because I'm not really a tech guy. I'm more of an end user. I'm more of a guy that can find ways of using tech. 
And so when it comes to naming names and all that, I, I just, you know, I just can't do that because back then that's from back then. I mean, now it's a different story. So I can't really remember the names or the competitors. I just remember what we were using and the technology again, the internet was so, so slow. It was just unbelievably slow. And by 1998, as I said, I then discovered I was working with a company that was based in Spain and they were actually some of the, the four leaders of the porn streaming industry. And they used to pop, they used to basically stream live porn from a country where it was legal to, to stream where porn was legal. Streaming was so new that there wasn't any laws. So the porn itself was being broadcast from a country where, le where porn was quite legal. But it was then that I discovered that these, it, this is 98, that these, um, the guys that were doing the streaming, it wasn't so much the guys that owned the companies. It was more to do with the techie guys that had created this new tech, whereby this streaming technology, which was brand new at the time, was able to deliver live pictures across the, across the internet. Totally new tech, totally new tech, you know? And so I kind of embraced that because I, I was connected to these, these dudes. Well, I wasn't connected to these dudes, but because, um, you know, we were connected, I was able to get access to tech um, that really only corporations had access to. And so when I delivered my platform, which it was related to the industry that I was had an expertise at the time, and that was creating large-scale events, and the genre was raves. It was the beginning of rave culture. It was Acid House, and I was well-known for it, and I had that skill set that I'd learned from that period. And so the obvious move was always going to be the first internet project I ever did was about bringing the global community together and bringing and in and linking all of the clubs all around the whole world. And it was, it was a subscription based model. Again, this is 98, 99. It was a subscription based model whereby people would pay monthly, a monthly subscription and that subscription would get them at least once a month free access to free vip access which would include a bottle of champagne to any club in the world any club that was in the system and you know in those days you literally they wasn't these clubs wasn't on the internet you know so it was a hard struggle i used to have like my office was just full of girls just just data just data input, data input, that we would get the data from wherever we could because there was no yellow pages for clubs, you know, in the States and wherever they were. And so we were having to make these things up as we went along. And there were a couple of companies at the time, Plur, I think were around at that point. And they were a huge help because at that time, it was a lot of the time it was HTML, web pages, really basic HTML web pages, a lot of time created on front page, which was a web application, a web design application that came with Windows. And so people would create web pages and 
even creating web pages in 1998 was quite advanced. You know, yeah, people would even consider you a techie for creating web pages. That's how new everything was. This, the ground was so fresh. It was just freshly broken. And so there wasn't anywhere that you could get this information. Where are these nightclubs? And so it was, a, it was a great task. It was a difficult task. You know, it was a seven day a week job. We, I was based in Brick Lane, which at the time, Brick Lane, it had all of these emerging talents from all of these new emerging companies in fashion, in IT, um, in music as well. Uh, we were in amongst all of that. A friend of mine, he was the one that started the whole Brick Lane, uh, the whole Truman Brewery facility he was one that actually drew everyone there and it became this hotbed of of talent uh, from all different arenas and many of us were again we were just getting in touch with the internet because it was so slow but i keep rambling on, on about it being so slow at a time we didn't know any different so that was it for us it was well this is how fast the internet is you know so it wasn't you wish it was quicker, but it was the same for everybody. And, and so we were really gagging for advancements in this area in terms of speed, because even with websites, when people were building websites in 98 and 99, they were, they wasn't really taking care of file size, for example. Like today, when we, we build websites, we, the images that are contained within the pages, they are tiny files. You know, we make sure we optimize them in Photoshop. And they're just small files where back in the day, you know, you might upload a five megabyte picture into, a, you know, embed that into a web page. And then the person that's coming to look at that five megabyte picture is you know, logged onto the internet with a 56K modem or 128, if they're lucky, I mean, that came later, 128 ISDN came. Um, again, so you, you're literally, you'd be sitting there whilst one page is downloading for 15 minutes. I mean, you really had to be into what you were doing you really had to be into the the adventure of that moment this was the early days of the internet the early days of the super highway it was never nothing it was ever known like it there was nothing like it in the past this was something that was going to revolutionize everything we did and i was an early converter i i immediately recognized the value of the internet, which was why I started the Club Life Network. Because I wanted to, having come from what's been termed as the second summer of love, having been a baby of that generation, a baby of the acid house generation, I understood the importance of unity. I understood the importance of collectiveness and empathy and a oneness and because of that i took that forward into my life and it's been a mainstream in my in my life ever since all the projects that i've ever done since have all been about 
community building. And there, there's been loads of projects which haven't worked out, which lots of people haven't even seen because they've been behind the scenes because I spent much of my life dedicated to creating innovative projects. And a lot of the time you might spend two years working on something on the underground and you try and be first to market, which I've been first to market a few times. And in the old days, you should think that if you're first to market, you know, you're going to win. But the fact is, being first to market, all that really meant was that you was exposing this new innovative project to the world and major corporations that had turnkey solutions could just basically incorporate that into their own business model and just market you out of the picture. And, you know, in the early days, I still had a sense of achievement being in amongst that first group, in amongst the early innovators. And I've tried that. Well, I've carried that on again. I'm always trying to be first. If I'm not first, I'm always trying to use that early technology to bring people together around the world. I mean, when Facebook came along and social media, that was kind of the vision of what I'd always seen. I'd always seen the internet in that format, bringing people together from around the world. And, you know, I stay, I've stayed, done projects like Ravers Reunited, the original Ravers Reunited. There might be one now, I don't know, I'm nothing to do with that. But so there's lots of projects that I've done, internet related, IT related, again, many of which you've never got to see, but I've been pushing forward and I've been on the quiet, low key, just trying to move forward with new tech. And why am I rambling on about all this stuff, really? You know, I guess I'm really, is, I'm really coming to this. If we go back to the acid house period. Now, the acid house period, I produced lots of, we produced lots of flyers and lots of Genesis related, we call it content today. But back then, we know, we, we created a lot of flyers. And everybody knows what flyers are. If people are watching from around the world and don't know or listening from around the world, flyers were, def were that like documents, you know, that, that leaflet that had all the party information on. And they were quite important because without them, people wouldn't know when the events were or where the events were, what date the events were on, you know, what DJs were going to be playing. So they were quite important in getting people to your events so hugely important and as time has gone past those flyers have actually become quite valuable there were really five large-scale party promoters consistent party promoters at that time and by consistent i meant i mean that they were delivering parties on a consistent frequency and they produced different flyers depending who who they were genesis we started off with our party flyers and we would have perhaps 300 flyers, 300. So sometimes it might go up to 2000 flyers. So those flyers are outside in the, in the, in the world. And of late they've become collector's items where they sell on eBay for up to 300 pounds because there's not many of them, the scarcity of those flyers today, because I'm sure, you know, more than half of them would have been lost in transit in the 32 years since those flyers were first came onto the market. 
So given that there's only a few flyers, the prices and the demand for those flyers are quite high. And there are people that are making good money from investing in these flyers and reselling them. And then there are also the other people which are creating fake flyers because now there's an industry for original flyers. There's also becoming an industry to create fake flyers. So you have to be really careful who you buy your flyers from. You know, it's hard to verify, it's getting harder to verify whether they were original flyers or not. And for new collectors, it's becoming a bit of a minefield. So fake flyers and reproduction flyers are starting to find their way into the original flyer market, which is causing problems. The one thing I will say is that regardless of what people like myself, like the original promoters of those events, whereby these flyers are selling for 300 pounds, you know, we don't, obviously we don't get anything from that. And good luck to the people that do get something from it. You know, I, I take it as, you know, it's 300 pounds for 30 years storage. It's all good. You know, it's not an issue. I've got an issue with people who create fake flyers and an issue with people who create the reproduction flyers. But apart from that, it's all good, you know. So what has that got to do with what I'm talking about today? So I've obviously been talking a lot about technology and being in technology and watching it grow and being a part of that. In the last few weeks, I've actually found out about a completely new technology that is about to completely disrupt the art and the music industry. In fact, it already has done. And that is NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And this non-fungible token is a way of artists and creative people and archivers to digitize whatever it might be from art or music or documents, photo photography. It's a way of digitizing music and adding it to a blockchain and connecting it to you as an individual. So for me, it would be connecting the Genesis flyers to me. And that's exactly what I've done. Even though I've only known about this technology for a few weeks, I could see that this was gonna be the future. And I've jumped straight in, you know, I jumped straight in the deep end. I could see the value of this industry. The NFT market is just gonna get bigger and bigger and it may well, it, the bubble may well burst at some point, on some of these huge prices that some of these NFTs are going for. But the industry itself, the blockchain, the NFT will live on. And that's the most important thing that it's about, you know, making sure and ensuring our history is documented forever. And how can we do that? Like, for example, the way that that's happened traditionally has been with people collecting the flyers. And yes, on social media, they will have Facebook groups and everything else dedicated to, you know, Instagram pages, whatever, Twitter accounts, all dedicated to flyer collection. But it's also really around the culture. There's, lo there's lots of websites and lots of groups dedicated to Acid House and those pioneering days of rave culture. You know, it was promoters like myself who 
we were booting open the doors and we've been booting open the doors ever since. And, and this is a, a booting open the doors moment, NFT. And now, again, it's, this is a new field for myself. I'm learning about it as we go along. Within the three weeks that I've known about NFTs, I've created a Genesis flyer NFT. It was the first asset house NFT that I could find in the biggest markets on the internet. So I actually did a search and I searched for anything asset house related. And I even searched for rave culture, rave history. The only thing I could find was a picture of Carl Cox or my son. And, but it wasn't asset house related. And so I was the first one to put something up that was asset house related that, that, you know, onto the blockchain. And I'm really proud of that moment. It was a historic moment. And, you know, I, people say that, you know, the young kids are the one that knows that know about tech and all that stuff. And, you know, I had a, a, a ZX Sinclair, you know, computer, the first PC, one of the first PCs. And I was part of that generation that played Space Invaders. You know, I was there. I was in those arcades on those machines, tapping in those credits on the Space Invader machine. And so you can't tell us, my generation, that we're not tech-minded. We are tech-minded. It was us that pushed this tech forward. It was us that had these ideas. I'm not saying me, but you know what I mean. And so today, why not? Why can't we be involved in this tech today? There's nothing stopping us. The industry is changing. And NFT is a way of archiving our history. And if you're a musician, this is a way of archiving your music. And I've been involved in the art world now since 2008 in the street art graffiti world, essentially. And again, this, this opens up a whole new market for street art graffiti a way of claiming ownership back over your work. And not only that, this is a way of documenting your work on a blockchain that can never be amended. Once it's on the blockchain, it can never be changed. And although there are a few barriers to people that, to market for people that have never done this type of thing before, one thing is obviously it's a cryptocurrency driven market. So you have to learn about cryptocurrency it's the blockchain. You're going to want to know about the blockchain and how the blockchain works. And the idea of decentralization and also the environmental impact that NFTs have on the environment. It has a huge impact. And how do you counterbalance that? How do you counterbalance the impact it's currently having, especially now since the interest in the NFTs have just gone through the roof in the last few weeks, absolutely through the roof. And this has been generated with sales of digital art for over $69 million. I mean, it's, it's completely disrupted the art markets. And obviously there are a lot of traditional old money that are trying to slow it down or block it in some way. And, you know, bringing up the environment is one of those things and bringing up the, the issue of cryptocurrencies and the stability of cryptocurrencies is another one. But 
in and of itself, this is a major disruptor. And, I, you know, I have very little knowledge of cryptocurrency. And before I, the same day that I got cryptocurrency, with the next day I had an MT, I had an NFT up. The very next day. And I have, and I've decided that I'm going to archive all of Genesis flyers. I'm going to be archiving into NFT. And that means they're going to be in the archives forever. They're going to be part of history. And not only are they going to be part of history forever, like we're always going to be connected to that piece of history. So there could be thousands of flyers around in the world, thousands, but there's only one NFT that has a direct connection to us. And if someone's interested in that, then that's of, of benefit to everybody. And so that's the benefit that NFTs bring to us. So I'm going to be archiving everything. I've also created lots of art. Having worked around artists since 2008, art, I've realized that I'm probably more creative than I am anything else. You know, I'm a creative person and I, and I create my ways. I create communities and I, I create ways of bringing communities together. And that's, that's kind of what I do. I'm good at. And this opportunity to be able to lock our history forever onto a blockchain, it, it really excites me. I've made history in different ways already. Like for example, my book class of 88 is actually in a time capsule beneath the museum of London. And it was placed there in the nineties and it won't, won't be open for a hundred years. So I am already locked into history, but it's still exciting to be involved on the blockchain and the NFT. So I'm advising you to have a really close look at NFTs and also, and there's, New, new technology in the web free are all finding ways in which we can, the technology itself is kinder to the environment. And I mean, you know, it's to be fair, the mobile phone you might be watching this on is, you know, is, hasn't been kind to the environment either. You know, so there are many things that we use in daily life that haven't been kind and is not being kind to our environments. But this NFT, I, with more people interested in the technology, the more it's going to drive funding and the more it's going to drive techies to try and make it as a, a, environmentally as friendly as possible. The fact that the idea of decentralization, in effect, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to get around because it, it's, the platform is decentralized. There are millions of computers, each working on each individual tra transaction on that blockchain. So it's always going to be a difficult task to be able to minimize the amount of power that that generates. And you can compare it to lots of other things. You can compare it to the printing of the money process and getting that money to banks. And, you know, there's, there's so many different arguments that can be had. And I'm not here to make any arguments for anything. I'm just here to talk about the future of archiving our history. And that's what we're doing. We're archiving our history. And I'm creating art specifically for the NFT network. So I invite you to one, 
learn more about NFTs and find how much how that can help you to archive your history or to get your artwork out there or to get your music out there. You know, to find out more, there's loads of information out there. I'm also about to launch a new website, which is going to be a NFT news portal. That should be launching in the next, in days to come, actually. That's nftlinks.co. And again, you should get more information. And it's got lots of tutorials and guides to show you how to create different NFTs in the different markets. So it's really a news portal. So all the most current news from all around the world relating to NFTs. So tune into that. If it's not live when you tune, when you log on, then it will be active now. So I won't bore you anymore blabbering on about technology or the internet. And so again, you know, watch this space. If you're a collector and you have an interest in counterculture memorabilia, then do get in touch. I might have something that you will like. And if you're involved in the business of NFTs, and if you have a website where you'd like to host some of my NFT art, do get in touch. And I look forward to the next episode. So once again, please, you know, like, subscribe, make a comment and share the podcast. We, I'd really appreciate your help in spreading the message. Well, hopefully the next guest won't leave me sitting in the hot seat, lights on, cameras rolling and a live microphone because it's quite possible we could end up with another podcast like the one we've had today. Good luck. Lots of love. I'll see you again in the very near future. Let's go. This concludes another episode of the 88 Podcast with Wayne Anthony. Hope you left with something that you never heard before and something that you've never witnessed before. That's what house music does. That's what Acid House does. So in always, in parting, remember, house, acid, is the soundtrack of your life. Peace.